Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Happy New Year's Eve, football fans. I'm Isaac Sines, and I thank you for tuning in to another edition of the Pro Football Chase Podcast. In today's episode, NFL defensive tackle Jarrell Worthy and I discuss the head coaching carousel and preview the wild card round of the playoffs. We also give our postseason awards, including our MVP and Coach of the Year picks. We'll cover all that and more coming up on the Pro Football Chase Podcast. This is the Pro Football Chase Podcast, a podcast that has featured interviews with Rams wide receiver Robert Woods. 32,000 yards, uh, and you know, last year, unfortunately, I got hurt mid midway in the season, but other than that, just just working and grinding to, to get to this point, and uh, probably broke it with a lot of games left. Packers wide receiver Marquez Valdez Scantling. Uh, just the fact that we got a, you know, uh, all pro on the other side of the ball, um, um, so when you got a guy like that, you know, that's who's going to get the main focus. Um, obviously, you know, people start to know my name a little bit after I made a few plays here and there. Broncos offensive guard Ronald Leary. It would either have to be a counter or uh, a pin and pull play when we get on the edge and run. Uh, I think it's always impressive when big guys can get out that stance and move and hit somebody. So In rising stars, Dalton Risner, Charles Amenahu, and Jawan Williams. This is a podcast that offers player perspectives from some well-decorated veterans, including T.J. Hushman Zada. And people will say, oh, well, if that person got a franchise quarterback, uh, look, look at his record, doesn't it tells you he is. Oh, he has a great business. You tell me a quarterback in the entire NFL that's not Tom Brady that does more with that. Game previews, recaps, and analysis. Turn the volume up. The chase is on, and the chase is live. (music) 
Happy New Year's Eve, everybody, and welcome in to another edition of the Pro Football Chase Podcast. It's Isaac Sines with you and my co-host, NFL defensive tackle Jarrell Worthy. The head coaching carousel is going wild right now, Jarrell. A lot of changes coming. We're seeing a bunch of new candidates rise up. So before we get there, I want to ask you, Jarrell, how are you doing today? Man, I'm doing phenomenal on this uh, phenomenal, beautiful morning. I'm excited to talk about this football, man. Uh, first and foremost, uh, Happy New Year. Happy Holidays to everybody and uh, to you, my man, Isaac. And I'm excited, bro. Appreciate it. I had a good Christmas and looking forward to celebrating and kicking off a brand new year at midnight and as we move forward into this NFL season, Jarrell. But let's go ahead and get things kicked off right here. News broke earlier this morning that Ron Rivera is now the Washington Redskins next head coach five-year deal an official announcement is expected to come down from the Redskins either later today or tomorrow nonetheless that deal is finalized and Ron Rivera 57 years old he's had plenty of success with the Carolina Panthers really was pivotal in turning around that franchise 76-63 in one record in Carolina, reached the playoffs four times, including in 2014 with a 7-8-1 record, won the NFC South three seasons in a row, NFC title, and went to the Super Bowl, and they lost to the Broncos. So the Redskins clearly want to make a culture change. So what are your thoughts on this hiring? I'm actually excited. I think uh, Dan Snyder finally got an opportunity to get it right. Um, I know we They tried it back in the old days with Shanahan, uh, a guy that had a big name that came with discipline and it was a hard-nosed type of uh, coach. And Ron Rivera is is somewhat similar, but he knows how to adapt to the culture change as far as uh, from the the old players to to the younger generation. And so I think at the end of the day, the Redskins finally got their man. Hopefully they can surround him with the right support staff to be able to put that to put together a team that can compete in the NFC East. Um, as we, as we've already seen uh, the top team coming out of the NFC East is this year is Philadelphia being nine and seven. And so at the end of the day, you have an opportunity to, to uh, make your statement on a division that's, uh, that's somewhat um, in the middle of the pack. And so you're, there's not a lot of pressure on you to come in and win right away. But if you have the success that they did back in uh, with Shanahan and, you know, uh, RG three and all those type of guys, I think, at the end of the day, there can be there can be an opportunity to make a lot of noise. Here's the thing, Troll. Step one for the Redskins and Dan Snyder was officially firing President Bruce Allen, who was running football operations for the last decade. And the Redskins did that with the hope of reviving a franchise that has not won a playoff game in 14 seasons. And they've faced plummeting attendance there in Washington. And then now they bring in Ron Rivera, who was their clear top candidate from the get-go and one thing that I do like about Rivera Jarrell as you just mentioned he brings that discipline and you know I found it very intriguing Gerald McCoy who signed with the Carolina Panthers ahead of the 2019 season tweeted out saying to the Redskins players y'all are going to experience a great head coach that's going to change your life 
because of what he brings to the table and not only just as a coach, but his genuine care for you as a person and a family man. And so I think Washington, this is the right hire for them to get back on track. We've seen all the dysfunction with Bruce Allen and Dan Snyder over the years. Redskins fans have just had it with all the lackluster seasons. But now Ron Rivera is there. He's going to turn the tide in Washington. And I was thinking this, Jarrell, the big storyline for Washington This past season has been Trent Williams, the all-pro left tackle that held out the entire season because he did not want to return after that medical staff treated his head tumor the wrong way. It was cancerous, and so he is like, I am not on the same page with Bruce Allen. I will not play for the Redskins again. But he actually tweeted out yesterday about the news Ron Rivera taking over as head coach, like, hey, maybe he's open to playing with the Redskins again, which I think is a huge piece for Washington as they look to develop Dwayne Haskins. Yeah, I think I would have to agree with you. When you have a a quarterback that you're trying to give confidence to and Dwayne Haskins, who actually has some success this year, you have Adrian Peterson, who's actually a workout teammate of Trent Williams in the offseason. They train down at Adrian Peterson's gym, and they're very – uh, close friends is I think that's one of the main reasons why AP was so reluctant to uh, re-sign with the Washington Redskins playing next to somebody that uh, he genuinely has an admiration for I think at the end of the day you know when you sign a guy like Ron Rivera and you have a man that's going to come in uh, that not only speaks for um, you know what the code is as far as the NFL goes but he speaks for what the code is as far as being a man um, Ron Rivera was known for having his wife and his daughter around the facility that he actually kind of got slack for, but he was just a person that always wanted to, to show the players that you can be a family man, but also get your work done. And so, you know, having been a teammate of Gerald McCoy in Tampa Bay, I know what he means when he speaks of how genuine a person can be. And he's a person that's genuine as far as his emotion goes and how he expresses himself, uh, which makes the, which is the reason it makes him a great player. And so when he speaks volume about a coach going to an opposing team in uh, in the NFC conference, uh, you can definitely you can definitely tip your hat to how Ron Rivera carries himself, and it's just a, a statement to uh, what he brings to the table. One thing worth monitoring before we move on to the next team, Jarrell, is word on the street is that former Raiders head coach Jack Del Rio is Ron Rivera's top target as defensive coordinator. So. That would be quite the pairing because Jack Del Rio, we know he kind of didn't get a fair shot in Oakland as he was booted out. John Gruden came in. But Jack Del Rio is a great defensive mind. And pair him with Ron Rivera, Washington, who has a lot of intriguing pieces. Deron Payne, Jonathan Allen, Landon Collins. That defense can be something with that pairing. Absolutely. They have all the pieces in place to be successful. I think they have to find ways to revamp the secondary. Um, Josh Norman has to have a better season this year. I don't necessarily know what they're wanna gonna what they want to do in the front office. The new GM that they hire that's gonna come in and have a chance to look at the books will determine whether or not Josh Norman's play will be acceptable for next year. But I think having a premier type of talent like Josh Norman, a guy when he's at his best, uh, shutting down one half of the field to go along with the pass rushers that they have up front, um, it, it definitely makes for a great combination. And Jack Del Rio had the Oakland Raiders playing at a at a very 
high level when he was the coach. And, um, you know, obviously the, the Oakland Raiders and their ownership, it seems like that they're all about the glitz and glamour at this point in time now and just all about the shiny new toys. And so they are quick to move on to something that's uh, in fashion, I guess, or, or a person that uh, wants to make a splash. And so they, they're not necessarily in it to stick w- with guys for the long haul. And so it would be very exciting to see Jack Del Rio have an opportunity to come in and put his stamp on this uh, Redskins defense who has who has a lot of potentials uh, around him. Let's backtrack a little bit. Sunday night came, and Freddie Kitchens yes. was shown the axe from the Cleveland Browns. There is a lot of whirlwinds throughout the season about Kitchens, his job security. Some within the organization believe Kitchens deserved at least another season. Others wanted him out the door. In the end, the Haslam's made the decision, firing Freddie Kitchens after a 6-10 season in his first year at the helm in Cleveland. Now, Jarrell, since 2010, the Browns are getting ready to hire their seventh head coach, okay? The previous six, here they are for you. Eric Mangini, Pat Shermer, Rod Truszynski, Mike Pettin, Hugh Jackson, Freddie Kitchens, and now there'll be a new head coach hired for the 2020 season. What are your thoughts on the Cleveland Browns, Freddie Kitchens, and how this went down? Yeah, I think, you know, the Cleveland Browns didn't necessarily want to do their due diligence when it comes to the hiring of this new coach. I mean, with uh, the old coach, Freddie Kitchens, I think that, you know, when you have a guy that's coming from a coordinator position, you have to have a guy that's going to step into a role and it's going to and it's going to be a leader uh, that, you know, that's going to have an opportunity to, to help lead men. Um, when you're talking about, you know, guys that make just as much money as you or even more money as you, you have to be able to affect them in a way that's emotional and that gives them confidence to go out there and play for you on a Sunday. And so I think at the end of the day, Freddie Kitchens was always the guy that just wasn't necessarily up for taking the blame for how the things were going. And I just think at the end of the day, he was just he's comfortable with being a coordinator. And so you should allow people like that to stay where they want. And I think, you know, uh, for for John Dorsey and the Cleveland Browns, I know that, you know, his his job uh, security is up for grabs at the moment. But if the Cleveland Browns decide to keep John Dorsey, I know, as we've seen in the past, he's a guy that's been able to surround a head coach with the right pieces. And I think with this team, they need the right coach in mind that's going to give this this offense an opportunity to use all the talent that they have and spread around the ball as many times as they can and be effective. And they need to hire a defensive coordinator who's going to give this defense some fuel to go rush the passer because they have the players up front. And then the interior, they have to be successful on the on the uh, on the back end and um, and up front. And so I just think, you know, with the potential interviews that they have coming up, Mike McCartney, Greg Roman, Josh McDaniels. I think if I look at Josh McDaniels, I mean, I would have a question mark this year being in New England, um, being shorthanded. What are the what are the type of plays? What are the type of ideas that you're going to continue to come up with to give your team some success? I think this defense is been able to lead New England a lot in um, this season. And so his play calling and decision-making would be questionable for me if I'm an owner moving forward. Greg Roman has been an excellent coach, uh, been able to establish the running game in two different on two different teams and give them an opportunity to make the playoffs. Buffalo had the number one rushing offense when he was a coordinator as, uh, as well as uh, number one deep ball percentage in the NFL and uh, Lamar Jackson. And the the Baltimore Ravens have the same exact similar statistics when it comes to the number one rushing offense in the league, as, as well as as well as uh, the percentage on Lamar Jackson's deep balls. 
But Mike McCartney, a guy that's been known to spread the ball around between all of his players, gives this this offense the best opportunity to be able to be successful. It gets the ball, it gets the ball out of Baker Mayfield's uh, hands fast. It gives play action pass and the running game an opportunity to to open up because of the the screens and the short passes and the checks and audibles at the line of scrimmage that comes with the Mike McCartney offense. And so if I'm looking out of those three candidates, I would rather go with Mike McCartney than a Greg Roman or a Josh McDaniels. Although Greg Roman brings a a different style to the table when it comes to the running game, man, he's been able to dial up some things that's been so effective over his last couple uh, 10 years as far as being an offensive coordinator. And so I never want to count a guy out like that. But if I'm looking to to make the guys on the edge happy when it comes to uh, Odell Beckham Jr. or Jarvis Landry, I will go with Mike McCartney. Well, the thing is, is that Cleveland, when they hired Freddie Kitchens, it was Kevin Stefanski who was also going to be interviewed for that head coaching job, and they decided to go with Freddie Kitchens. Apparently, there is internal discord about whether they should go with Kitchens or Stefanski. Ultimately, John Dorsey pushed for Kitchens. And look, this is a Browns team that clearly went with Kitchens because of Baker Mayfield and the surge he had at the end of the season after they fired Hugh Jackson. It was obvious that Kitchens was in over his head, wasn't able to control the locker room. When you have a bunch of top superstars like Odell Beckham, Jarvis Landry, who all have big-time egos, Baker Mayfield thrown in there, it just didn't work out. But this is a team, Jarrell, that has not had a winning season since 2007 when they finished 10-6 and under Romeo Cornell. They have not been in the playoffs since 2002 when they lost to the Steelers in the wildcard round. Butch Davis was their head coach at the time. And the Browns currently have the longest active postseason drought in the NFL at 17 seasons. So this team flat out needs stability. I mean, they need somebody that can come in and provide leadership, discipline, for a team that has lacked that for so many years. And so you were discussing some of these potential candidates, Josh McDaniels, Roman. Now 49ers defensive coordinator Robert Saleh is another guy that the Browns are eyeing, as well as Bill's offensive coordinator Brian DeBall, 49ers passing game coordinator Mike LaFleur, who's the brother to Matt LaFleur, the Packers head coach. You know, so you can see why the Browns want to talk to him and pick his brain about what he could do or bring to their offense. But I agree with you, Jarrell. Mike McCarthy makes the most sense for this Cleveland Browns team. Let's not forget that this Browns front office has a lot of ties to Green Bay, you know, including John Dorsey, who worked with the organization there. So I think that makes sense. I think Mike McCarthy can come in, he can take grasp of the position, and really get the entire team to buy in to his Super Bowl caliber mantra, which is bringing a steady offensive attack, maybe hiring another offensive coordinator to help him run that offense with all the talent they have. But out of all these other candidates, if I'm the Browns, I would steer away from taking chances on first-year head coaches. That has not worked out so well for them. Yeah, I would agree with you, Isaac. I just think that they need a voice that's going to come in that already has the clout that they're going to respect. They're going to have they're going to have to have a guy that's won a Super Bowl before. They're going to have to have a guy that's at least been to the to the big dance and that has coached some successful teams. Uh, when you look at the when you look at their roster, you talk about guys that 
have potentially had some uh, some character issues that's been questioned by other people in the NFL, uh, not not personally myself. But uh, you look at guys like Sheldon Richardson, um, Olivier Vernon, uh, OBJ, Jarvis Landry. I mean, these are guys that are superstars in their right mind. And, and, and at the end of the day, these are guys that you have to get the most uh, – you, you, mo- you have to get the, the, the biggest bang for your buck. And at the end of the day, John Dorsey has to have a guy that's going to come in, that's going to fuel their fire, and that's going to have an opportunity to motivate them to get the best out of them. Because these are guys that are primetime guys that have received uh, uh, monstrous contracts that can make a difference in their in their organization, as well as uh, Miles Garrett, not, not to mention. And so at the end of the day, they have to find ways to get the most out of their superstar players uh, because they have a lot of them on one roster. And so... They have to find ways to do that. And I think Mike McCartney brings in the right voice. Um, he's a guy that, that demands respect right away. And just the way you practice, um, you know, everything's everything is game like speed. Everything is game reps. There is no time off when it comes to McCartney. But he also pays respect to the older guys in the organization who puts in work. And so you, as, a, as an older player, you have nothing but respect for a guy that shows love to you. And so I think Mike McCartney is, a, is the man for the job. Let's turn the page on the head coaching carousel to the New York Giants. They also made a head coaching change, firing Pat Shermer on Monday morning as a part of the Black Monday special. Shermer went 9-23 and in two seasons at the helm in New York. The Giants, however, are retaining GM Dave Gettleman, which a lot of Giants fans are not too happy about that one. Here are the candidates that the Giants are eyeing. It's Josh McDaniels. Chiefs offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy, Ravens DC Don Martindale, Mike McCarthy. They have plans to interview him this weekend. But the one name that continues to be atop the Giants' wish list is Baylor head coach Matt Rule. He's apparently the top candidate for them because he did coach on Tom Coughlin's staff back in 2012. He's a New Jersey native. There's a lot of rumors growing about him becoming the Giants' next head coach. Of course, we'll see because we know the Giants are going to take their time in this search. They're also going to interview Cowboys passing game coordinator Chris Richard on Thursday. So that's another name. Who knows how serious of an interview that will be. But nonetheless, this is a Giants team that's looking for a spark at head coach. They drafted Daniel Jones. They have Saquon Barkley. They've really been in the cellar the last two or three years. have not done a lot of winning. So, Jarrell, who do you think is the best fit for this Giants franchise this is a tough decision to make uh just because you know i think you know personally uh a situation like how the the redskins had uh ron rivera would have been my 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 top candidate for uh, a team of that nature i just think that it's a very tough it's a very tough call because you know keeping gettleman you know what he brings to the table and that he's going to make decisions based off uh the comfort of him and what he ne- and what he necessarily feels about what a team should actually look like. And, uh, you know, but I just think at the end of the day, uh, the, uh, the passing game coordinator, uh, that's in, that's in Kansas city gives you the, the, the most chance to, to add some flash to, to the pan. I think at the end of the day, they have, you know, with Saquon Barkley and, and, uh, and Daniel Jones, Eric, uh, Eric Bajini will have an opportunity to really, um, put his stamp on an, an, 
a high-powered explosive offense uh, that's potentially uh, ready to explode. I think they have opportunities there. Um, but I think for me personally, it would have to have a guy that, that's going to come in and have the right mindset. Um, but it's just with the college coaches and, and everything that they have coming in, I just don't necessarily think that the, the college coach is always the first route to go. I think that they're, the NFL is diving into a pot because they've seen a couple coaches have some success. It's not always going to be that way. And so I think that you would try to hire a guy that's had some experience dealing on the NFL stage. And there's a lot of there's a lot of candidates that are out there. Um, I think, you know, uh, the passing game coordinator out of Dallas, uh, Chris Richards, is going to have you, you could take a good look at him for what he was able to do uh, with that with that Prescott and some of the big games that they've played. I think that Prescott decision making has to be better. But when you look at the concept and the routes that they run and, and have opportunities to gain big plays, I think there it, it definitely would uh would, you would have to take a serious look at him. But I think for for realistically, whoever comes in that the Giants hire, they have to it has to be a guy that's going to potentially get along with uh, David Gettleman be just because of the simple fact you know that he's going to make he's going to do things based off how he feels and not necessarily what is always best for the team. I'll tell you what, I think the best candidate for this Giants head coaching job is Ravens defensive coordinator Wink Martindale. I think he can bring in a big-time emphasis on the defensive side of the ball. This is a Giants team that used to thrive off of that during their Super Bowl years when they had Michael Strahan, Justin Tuck, that fierce pass rush. They would pummel offenses, and I'm a big fan of Don Martindale. Look what he's done in Baltimore. And here's another reason why I like him with the Giants, Jarrell, is that his top choice for offensive coordinator, should he get hired as head coach, is LSU's passing game coordinator and quarterbacks coach Joe Brady, who is absolutely lighting it up in the college football playoff all season long. Look what he did with Joe Burrow, developing him. And if you bring in Joe Brady to New York, he gets to work with Daniel Jones, who was their premium pick last year. And so I like that potential and what he can bring to a Giants offense that already has Saquon Barkley, Golden Tate, and then Evan Ingram, assuming that he returns healthy next season. Martindale is a guy that can come in, focus on the defense, bring in a guy like Brady, who's a rising candidate. I like that pairing for the Giants a lot. Now, Matt Rule obviously is a top choice for a lot of fans as well, just considering his ties to New Jersey and the success he's had at Temple and at Baylor. But for me... Martindale would be the best choice for a Giants team that's looking to get that nastiness back in that organization. You make some very key points. I think when you look at the Giants team, it's not necessarily their offense that's been in question. I, you, I think what we've obviously seen what Daniel Jones took over at the helm, uh, what they were capable of do, what they were capable of doing, um, you know, with lackluster talent. I mean, Golden Tate wasn't out there the entire season. And they were still able to put up a lot, some pretty decent numbers as far as the passing game and running game. And so I think if you are, if you are the, um, I think if you are the owner of the Giants, you have to take a look at the defensive side. You have to take, given an opportunity to, uh, to build on that side, because potentially the two Super Bowls that you have was one off the defense. It was one off the defensive line up front because you have one of the most premier defensive lines in the NFL's history uh, with the, uh, Tuck and, you know, uh, JPP and having 
uh, Strahan and all of those guys and O.C. Manura uh, with, during the first Super Bowl run. I think at the end of the day, they have everything that they that they need at their disposal, and they have to they have to make sure that they put the emphasis on on the defensive side. So I, I definitely would, I definitely agree with you. Let's go ahead and talk about another team who's looking for a new head coach, Carolina Panthers. They're ramping up their head coaching search. They've requested to interview Josh McDaniels, Chiefs OC Eric Bieniemy. Baylor head coach Matt Rule is a candidate for the Panthers as well. So this is an intriguing job. Now, it's worth noting, Jarrell, that the Panthers have already interviewed Mike McCarthy for their head coaching job twice. They're going to meet with interim head coach Perry Fewell this week. Here is where I think if you're a candidate for the Panthers job, you have to be wondering, you're going to ask Marty Herney, well, what's the stance on Cam Newton? Is he going to return? Do you have plans? Is it going to be my decision? Is it an ownership decision on Cam Newton? Because that is a big part of whether a coach is going to want to ultimately consider this Panthers job. We know that they have some talent on defense, some good wideouts, DJ Moore, of course, Christian McCaffrey. So looking at this Panthers job, Jarrell, is there a certain candidate that you look at that would be an ideal fit for Carolina? Um, not necessarily, just because we don't know what their identity is going to be heading into next year. You know, at the end of the day, if you bring Cam Newton back, you obviously have some versatility to your offense that gives you the ability to pass and run the football. You know what you have with Christian McCaffrey, but you don't necessarily know what you have on the outside as far as your receivers. I've always said it this before. Uh, Carolina's never had any really elite receivers uh, uh, until, you know, a Steve Smith or uh, a Moose Muhammad. But those were so long ago. Like, at the end of the day, those are players that have moved on. I mean, retired, played for other teams at one point. Um, they have to find a way to get somebody on the outside who can give you that explosiveness that is just like a Christian McCaffrey, but in a receiver form. They have to have a big to play type of guy in order to make this offense work because it doesn't necessarily matter whether Cam Newton comes back or not because at the end of the day, if they can't throw the football and they don't have receivers on the outside to be able to compete, then this offense is going to look the exact same as it did last year. And so what I have, when I'm looking at these coaching candidates, I just don't know. I, I know we always like to talk about Josh McDaniels, but at the end of the day, I just feel like, you know, Josh McDaniels come like he's had some, he has some pretty good seasons, but I just don't, I just don't see anything that jumps off the plate um, when I'm looking at him as far as the coordinator. I think that the Patriots and the Patriots way and how they operate is what makes people like that be so successful. We haven't necessarily seen coaches coming from the Belich from the Belichick tree have a ton of success. And so at the end of the day, I just I don't necessarily know if it is uh, if it's if it's the system that they run, if it's Belichick or really if it is Josh McDaniels, because I just know that all the, the former coaches that we've seen come up under uh, the, the armpit of 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 uh, Belichick, they just haven't had the necessary success. And I know that Matt Rule wants to have opportunity to play in the, uh, to coach in the NFL after coming out and saying that he won't take a look. Now he's saying he's going to take a look. I just think that at the end of the day, when you have a coach like that, that's on the, that's on the, the fringe of what he wants to do. I want to, I want a coach that knows exactly what he wants, knows what he brings to the table and um, knows where he wants to go. And so I just think that the Carolina Panthers, uh, David Tapper and those guys, they have to find a way to to figure that out because this Carolina Panthers team needs to get back into the playoffs. Otherwise, you're going to lose your 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 fan base, who's been so 
um, diehards for a very long time. I think the one candidate that makes the most sense for Carolina, in fact, they're scheduled to interview him on Thursday. It's Chiefs offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy. I think he brings something to the table that other candidates do not. He brings some offensive prowess. Now, I think Cam Newton, as I just mentioned, it's going to be a big part of what happens there in Carolina. But there are pieces in place there. McCaffrey, DJ Moore, over 1,000 yards receiving Curtis Samuel. Now Greg Olson, he may retire, so we're not sure what's going to happen there. But they do have Ian Thomas, who they selected in a year or two ago. So he's there waiting to develop. So I like the enemy. I think he can bring some fresh ideas to the table. He's a good, surging candidate. Andy Reid has endorsed him heavily the last couple of years. So keep an eye on Eric the enemy to the Carolina Panthers. We're going to talk about one last team here who has not moved on from their head coach yet, but the expectation is that they will do so in the coming days. It's the Cowboys, Jason Garrett's 8-8 eight and eight season, missed the playoffs. Yup, and now Garrett is apparently meeting with the Joneses for a second time at noon today after exit interviews with the players. So assuming Garrett is indeed gone, Jarrell, and please let that be the case because if they somehow retain Garrett, you know I'm going to go wild as a Cowboys fan. There's a lot of different names being tossed around out there and a lot of them coming from the college ranks. You got Lincoln Riley, OU, Urban Myers, a guy that's been floating around for the last several weeks. And here's one name I heard this morning as a potential dark horse candidate for this Cowboys job is Florida head coach Dan Mullen, who, by the way, oh, wow. coached Dak Prescott at Mississippi State and was instrumental yeah. in his development and is an offensive guru. We saw what he's done at Florida and how he's excelled that offense forward because we know the Gators, they've always lacked offense. But since Mullen has taken over, they have been able to turn the table and they are now an efficient offense. So that's an interesting name to me as well. What candidate do you think would be able to come in to this Dallas Cowboys organization and finally get this team over the top? Well, out of the list of the candidates that you mentioned, I think it has to be an Urban Meyer type of guy. Um, But I don't necessarily think that Jerry Jones is going to uh, really accept the hiring of an Urban Meyer because he doesn't, he's not going to be able to put his thumb down or he's not going to be able to control a guy like Urban Meyer. Like Urban Meyer is going to come in and want to do things his way. He's going to want to have sole control over the personnel, um, who he puts on the field. Um, He rewards those that are the superstars. And um, if you can contribute to the team in the highest way, he has an opportunity. I mean, he, he gives those guys uh, a lot of respect and, and he wants to, he wants to win games. I think, Um, Lincoln Riley hasn't proved to me that he's capable of taking a team the entire way. And, you know, with having the success that they had, I just I don't necessarily think that uh, Lincoln Riley would be the guy or want to step away from Oklahoma up until he has an opportunity to win a national championship. Um, As before, Matt Rule, man, with all these teams that's surrounding him, you know, coming, you know, coming from Temple and then going, you know, to, to down to Baylor. Um, I mean, he continues to uh, ascend as far as his career goes. And so, you know, when you look at the guys that continue to ascend at, at, at such a fast pace, I just don't necessarily know whether or not it's going to become too much for them. You know, having 
Um, you know, one at Temple, then you go down to Baylor and you lead them uh, to 11 and two record. I think that at the end of the day, you have to continue to grow on your you have to continue to grow on your success. And I just, you know, out of these out of these three candidates that you mentioned, I think Urban Meyer is the, is the best fit for for the Dallas Cowboys. But it's all going to be whether or not Jerry Jones wants to put things to the side and let and let Urban Meyer be Urban Meyer, because we already know that Jerry Jones is not stepping down as the general manager of the Dallas Cowboys. So any type of coach coming in, you already know what you have to deal with. And the Dallas and Jerry Jones always wants to be in control. He's a businessman. He's he's going to want to be in control of his product. And so I just don't necessarily think that, that Urban Meyer is going to be the best fit socially, but economically and statistically for them on the field, I think he is the best fit. Well, here's my thing, Jarrell. Jerry Jones, I'm holding out strong hope that he will rebuke the GM title from himself because until he does – this Cowboys organization is going to continue to underwhelm because Jerry Jones continuously wants to control things. He wants to be present in coach meetings. He wants to be out on the field. And you're right, Urban Meyer is not cut out of that cloth. And I do think Urban Meyer is the best choice for the Dallas Cowboys. He's recorded a 187-32 record through 17 seasons as a college head coach, including three national titles with the Gators and the Buckeyes. You know, Meyer can bring discipline, a winning culture to an already talented team. He would just need to surround himself with effective coordinators, both on offense and defense. He has it in his DNA, and you make a lot of points that are right on Jarrell Jerry Jones. He's probably not going to be open to bringing a guy like Urban Meyer that's going to basically shun him and say, hey, I want to be in charge of the personnel. I want to be the guy who's targeting players in the draft and free agency. I want you to step aside. And unfortunately, as long as Jerry Jones is unwilling to change and take a step back and stop being the general manager, in fact, my theory as a Cowboys fan that follows this team very closely I'm not sure why the Cowboys have not promoted executive Will McClay to general manager who, by the way, Will McClay is the director of player personnel. He's the guy behind all these big time hits in the draft for the Cowboys the last several years. And he has been asked to interview for GM openings in the NFL the last two or three years and he's turned them down. So in my opinion, Jerry Jones should step down as a GM, give Will McClay that title, let Will McClay head this coaching search, but that's just me, wishful thinking, right? We know Jerry Jones is not going to do that. But Urban Meyer, yes, he does make the most sense. He is what the Cowboys need. They need a disciplinarian. They need a guy that can come in and light a fuse in Dallas, something that they've been lacking since Jimmy Johnson in the Super Bowl days. Now, will it happen? Time will tell, but that's where things stand as of now with the Dallas Cowboys. We'll see. If Jason Garrett is officially out after he meets with the Joneses again. But in other news, Jarrell, the Jaguars announced that Doug Marone and GM Dave Caldwell will return for the 2020 season after speculation was that Marone was out. He returns as well. So no head coaching vacancy in Jacksonville for at least another season. But as we continue to cover the head coaching carousel, I did want to share some NFL postseason awards, Jarrell. We're going to discuss MVP, Offensive Player of the Year, and so on and so forth. So 
Let's go ahead and start with the MVP award. This one is pretty obvious, but why don't you go ahead and give us your pick? Uh, so well, I'm going to give you my obvious. I'm going to give you the obvious pick for the season, which is obviously Lamar Jackson and what he's been able to do with the Baltimore Ravens. But if I had to bring in a side note um, of a couple players that I would like to have the opportunity to highlight, uh, one of them is going to show up later on in our discussion, and the other is not. Um, one of them being Michael Thomas and what he's been able to do down in New Orleans. Um, playing with two different quarterbacks this year and still setting the record for the most receptions in a season um, while going with while leading the league in reception yards and having that going along with nine touchdowns. I think at the end of the day, um, we can we can easily throw him in the MVP discussion and giving him an opportunity to really uh, put the receiving uh, the, the art of receiving on display with having win, winning an MVP. But the other guy that I want to have an opportunity to seriously highlight is Derrick Henry with the Tennessee Titans. I know that their record doesn't necessarily prove, um, you know, how much his worth is. But if you really look at what he's been able to do this year, uh, 1,500 yards rushing, um, averaging five yards a carry to go along with 16 touchdowns. And what his last performance showed, it's just it's just a testament to what uh, he, he's been able to do as far as um, – as far as uh, what he brings to the table for this Tennessee team. I know that we like to highlight Ryan Tannehill a lot, but Derrick Henry and going for over 200 yards in your final game to clinch a playoff spot, I think it's just phenomenal. It's just a testament to, to, to how great of a player he is and what his, um, what his ceiling could potentially be. And uh, I just wanted to have an opportunity to highlight those couple players. But my MVP is Lamar Jackson. Yeah, those are absolutely strong candidates. Derrick Henry's my guy. Contact him, follows my page, hoping to get him on for an interview after the season. What he's been able to do has been incredible. By the way, he's about to hit free agency, so the Titans better be ready to show him the dough to keep him in Tennessee. So looking forward to seeing him run against the New England Patriots. Now for me, yes, my MVP is Ravens quarterback Lamar Jackson. He's been regarded as the front runner for the last several weeks of the season. His production has backed that up. 15 starts this year. He's thrown for 3,127 yards, 36 touchdowns, six interceptions to go along with a 66.1 completion percentage. Talk about efficiency. He's rushed for 1,206 yards, 6.9 yards per carry, average seven touchdowns, broke Michael Vick's record for the most rush yards in a single season for a quarterback. So he is the obvious choice. We know he's going to win that award. But let's go ahead and talk about the Offensive Player of the Year, Jarrell. My guy is Michael Thomas, receiver for the Saints. You just talked about him. 149 receptions, almost 2,000 yards receiving. He got 1,725. Nine touchdowns. That's the seventh most receiving yards ever in a season in the NFL, he shattered Marvin Harrison's old receptions record of 143 catches. This guy's been dominant, and if the Saints do indeed make a run to the Super Bowl, you better believe that Michael Thomas is going to have a strong part of that run. Yeah, I would have to agree with you. He's also my, uh, my offensive player of the year. As I said before, man, he played with two different quarterbacks for – I mean, for the season, I mean, obviously you have Drew Brees and, you know, we know what he's when he's able to do and, you know, setting the records that he was able to set this year. And, and we know what 
what type of uh, what type of pedigree he brings to the table. But you know, playing with Teddy Bridgewater, having an opportunity to revamp his career, give this give Teddy Bridgewater a lot of confidence moving forward because he's going to be a guy that that teams are going to be looking at because he had an opportunity to go undefeated during his tenure. And so, I think at the end of the day, when you look at when you look at this team, man. You have to look at the guy that's catching the football and Michael Thomas um, essentially going, you know, almost games, a number of games without having any drop passes is unbelievable, man. His catch rate is so is so elite. It's so big. And, and having an opportunity to throw the football to him, it gives a confidence to any quarterback that's having a, a chance to, to put to be on display. And so, you know, Michael Thomas is my guy. Uh, he is my offensive player of the year. And um, he continues to, con- to continue to get better. And so we're, I'm looking forward to seeing um, to seeing him next year and obviously hopefully having a chance to go over 2,000 yards. Now let's go ahead and talk about the Defensive Player of the Year here. I actually have a sleeper, which everybody wants to give it to Stephon Gilmore. He's the popular pick, which I do think he is well-deserving. But I, I'm going to go against the grain here, and I'm going to give it to Vikings defensive end Daniel Hunter Jarrell what he's been able to do this season has been sensational 25 years old still young not even in his prime per se 14 and a half sacks tied for fourth in the NFL 16 tackles for loss 54 quarterback hits three forced fumbles one fumble recovery 76 tackles in a season in which he became the youngest player to reach 50 career sacks Danielle Hunter continues to thrive in Minnesota under Mike Zimmer's defense, and he does not get the love he deserves. We talked about him on the show several times as we give our offense and defensive player of the week, but Daniel Hunter, and if you remove him from that Vikings defense, I'm not so sure Minnesota is as successful this year. He is that big of an impact player. Yes, he's he's been... I mean, absolutely astonishing this year. Uh, I mean, he doesn't necessarily – Minnesota hasn't had as many primetime games as we would have liked to have seen this year from their team. But when he's on, when he has the opportunity to be on display, man, he is a game wrecker, and he continues to shine. And, you know, I'm always pulling for guys that are in the interior just because of how hard of a job it is to go out there and hit guys, you know, week in and week out and continue to have the same success. But I'm going to go uh, with a guy that's in the secondary. I mean, it's not going to be – uh, Stephon Gilmore, but it's going to be my guy Tre'Davious White out of Buffalo. Um, he's tied for tied for the most interceptions this year, is, is in six interceptions, seventeen passes defended. Uh, but the astonishing stat is five hundred and ninety nine straight snaps without a touchdown giving up, and I think that is astonishing for a player of his caliber being in that division and um, going and having the games in which they had this year, in which he was had opportunity to compete, and so. I think that, man, he is a tremendous talent. He doesn't get enough credit. Um, congratulations on being making it to the Pro Bowl for the first time this year. He's going to have many more to go. Uh, but B- Buffalo has their man for the next eight to ten years, man, if they want him. And so at the end of the day, I, I really want to tip my hat to Tredavious White and, and, the, and the play and, and discipline that he showed this year um, collectively with the, with the Buffalo Bills secondary. Yeah, Tredavious White, that guy is put together – a significant season for that Bills defense, and I'm looking forward to seeing him match up with DeAndre Hopkins on Saturday. We're going to talk about that just moments away, so stay tuned for that. But yes, I completely agree with you there. 
Tredavious White along with Stephon Gilmore, both those DBs have really been locked down out there this season. Now let's talk about some rookies, shall we? How about the Offensive Rookie of the Year, Jarrell? A lot of different directions here. This is a hot topic of debate amongst NFL fans. Josh Jacobs is a popular pick. Others think Miles Sanders for the Eagles. But I'm going to give it to Tennessee man, A.J. Brown. 51st overall (laughs) pick of the second round, Jarrell. Capped off an excellent regular season in style as he eclipsed 1,000 yards with another impressive performance, helped the Titans clinch a playoff spot. And A.J. Brown has played with Marcus Mariota, who was benched for now Ryan Tannehill, who's gone on a hot streak. And A.J. Brown has had a big reason for Tannehill's success. Arthur Smith dialing up the plays there for the Titans. But Brown finished the regular season with five 100-yard games to his name. Four of those came in the last six weeks of his rookie campaign. Big players shine in big moments. And as the Titans have been chasing down a playoff spot, A.J. Brown has answered the bell every single time. And I think he deserves this award. Absolutely. I would agree with you, Isaac. I think uh, we both have the exact same officer rookie of the year. Uh, I just, I mean, that 91-yard touchdown he had earlier in the year was spectacular. But for me, it's really the yards after catch. Like when you see how physical he is when he's running his routes, when he gets the ball in his hands, it doesn't necessarily move, look like he's moving fast, but he's outrunning the defensive backs uh, by a number of yards, as well as when they get a chance to get a hold of him, he's throwing them left and right, man. He's so strong. I think I said it personally that he has uh, a T.O. style type of uh, route running ability uh, with how aggressive he is in his routes, with how strong he looks when the ball is in his hands. Um, A.J. Brown is my offensive rookie of the year. And, uh, and I mean, he continues to shine, man. I know uh, Mike Vrabel's done a great job with, with uh, you know, re- revamping Ryan Tannehill's uh, career, uh, say to, uh, so to speak. But A.J. Brown's been a big part of that, man. When you have a guy that's out there being able to take the ball, uh, the length of the field at any given moment, that breeds a lot of confidence into you being able to throw them into those 50-50 balls as well as uh, the behind, the back shoulders and, and all of those things. And so – Man, he continues to shine, man, and um, and the, the sky's the limit for him, man. Continue to keep going, AJ. Let's go ahead and talk about the Defensive Rookie of the Year. This one was really difficult for me because I had several candidates that I wanted to give, including Jaguars outside linebacker Josh Allen, who I've given a lot of praise on the podcast throughout the season. But I'm going to have to just go with the obvious choice, 49ers defensive end Nick Bosa for what he's been able to do and accomplish with a defensive line that has three or four first-round picks. Bosa was a second overall selection in 2019. He finished the year with nine sacks, 25 quarterback hits, 16 tackles for loss, one forced fumble, one interception, and his advanced stats tell a similar story of dominance, Jarrell, as Pro Football Focus currently has him as the 11th best edge defender in the NFL ahead of notable players like Khalil Mack, Miles Garrett, 
I think we see it every single week, Jarrell. The Niners have had a lot of primetime games, so we've all been able to watch Nick Bosa disrupt offenses and really win one-on-one battles consistently against top-flight offensive tackles in the NFL. So Nick Bosa gets my vote for Defensive Rookie of the Year. Yeah, it's really it's really hard to argue that, uh, but I, I just want to go differently, man. I want to give it to Josh Allen out of Jacksonville. Um, I only really give it I give it to that because you know Jacksonville does have some notable players on their defensive line, but not none of them. Did, I mean, not any one of them this year had premier years. Um, they didn't have it. They didn't have an opportunity to really showcase and shine, but this guy did. Um, on the uh, set aside from Calais from Calais Campbell and Yannick. As well as you know, Marcel Darius, a, a, a number, a, a former first-round pick as well. Um, Josh Allen and what he was able to do, having the 44 tackles, two and a half, ten and a half sacks, and the couple forced fumbles that he had. I think it's just, uh, it was really, it was really impressive to see how he was able to get around the corner, get around the edge, and continue to put pressure on opposing on opposing offenses that had um, that was definitely. Uh, they were trying to oppose their will on on, on this uh, Jaguar defense, man, because they were down in cases in, in, in some big games. And so, you know, Josh Allen, I mean, not Josh Allen, but Nick Bosa is definitely a, uh, a, a phenomenal choice. But I just think that playing against playing with three other top top 10 talent, as well as other guys that are in their contract years that are putting on phenomenal, putting up phenomenal games and, and Armstead and Buckner, I just think that at the end of the day, it was a lot easier for him being one-on-one blocked a lot. And I just wanted, I wanted to give credit to, to Josh Allen and what he was able to do on the team that necessarily under that underachieved this year with all the hoopla that they had going on, uh, the chain of Jalen Ramsey and all those things in the front office. And so I just wanted to tip my hat to Josh Allen, man. I think he has a bright future. And I think that at the end of the day, they have to find ways to improve that defense around him. Let's go ahead and discuss the final topic of these postseason awards. It's Coach of the Year. I have Ravens head coach John Harbaugh, and I know Sean McDermott was my pick. I want to go with him as well, but you just cannot deny John Harbaugh's greatness, what he was able to do this season. The Ravens are the number one seed, finished the year with a 14-2 and record, and he took over the league by going against the grain with the run-first offense, which is a pass-happy league. Greg Robin, of course, is the offensive coordinator, but John Harbaugh has been the engineer gathering this staff and continuing to preach messages of confidence, keeping this Baltimore team rallied together, Jarrell. It's amazing to look at John Harbaugh, the landscape, the foundation that he's built. And remember, last year there were whispers about John Harbaugh exiting Baltimore after yet another disappointing stint, but they reach a contract extension. There's some changes in the personnel. Eric DaCosta officially takes over for Ozzie Newsome, and all of a sudden the Ravens are dominant this year. Lamar Jackson comes and... His rise was evident. John Harbaugh was bought in on Jackson and really just reshaping their entire offense around his strengths. And look at Don Martindale and what he's been able to do with that defense. 
I just got to give it to Harbaugh. I've always been a fan of him. He never wavers regardless of the circumstance. He makes sure that his players are held accountable. I've talked with James Ahedebo, a Super Bowl winner who played for John Harbaugh. He has nothing but great things to say about Harbaugh and the leader of men he is. So John Harbaugh gets my vote for Coach of the Year. It's a definitely compelling argument that you have. I mean, the success that the Baltimore Ravens were able to have, uh, it was very, it was very, uh, it was very great to see because of the collective effort that everybody displayed. I think that there was never, it was even though it was Lamar Jackson that was really being the face of the the organization, it was still Mark Ingram. You still had Hollywood Brown down there. I mean, like you still had guys that were contributing in a way that, that gave them a lot of success because the ball was being spread around to various players. It wasn't necessarily just one guy that continued to have some success. And when you speak about their defense, the addition of Earl Thomas and, and, the, and the season that Matt Judon had uh, this year, it was exceptional, man. I think, you know, at the end of the day, the, the front office definitely uh, put the pieces around and put the pieces in place to give John Ball, give John Ball, John Harbaugh the opportunity to be successful. Excuse me. Uh, but I think at the end of the day, man, you know, for me, my, my coach of the year is Mike Vrabel. I know that they end up finishing second in their division um, to the Texans. But what he was able to do with a quarterback who nobody wanted, having to bench uh, your your number one overall, your number one pick, uh a few years back, replacing him with another, with a former another, with a former number one pick who's lacking confidence, lacking ability. Your star wide receiver is a rookie um, in his first year, and you have and you have a solid running game that's been missing um, interior offensive alignment from a season ago when Derrick Henry was continuing to have success. Um, my coach of the year is, is personally Mike Vrabel, um, just because of having to overcome all those obstacles. I think when I look at the coach of the year, it's always the most uh, memorable moments and not necessarily the wins. It's having to adjust to tight situations and to overcome those games and and uh, very in a very in a in a um, in a very strategic fashion instead of just having the one of the most explosive players in the NFL like Lamar Jackson. I think personally, it didn't matter what type of system they put around him. I knew that Lamar Jackson was going to have some success because at the end of the day, he was going to have an opportunity to adjust. He was going to believe in what he could bring to the table and having a full off season with John Harbaugh. I knew that they were going to have an opportunity to get it right to at least win um, 10, 10 or 11 games. But when you look at Mike Vrabel and having to go through the coaching changes, as well as having Derrick Henry in and out the lineup and still having him to, to give it, having him contribute this year, as well as AJ Brown being a rookie, being your number one receiver, I just uh, I just want to tip my hat to Mike Vrabel. He is my coach of the year. Nice wild card pick there, Mike Vrabel. Yeah, he sure has done a nice job in Tennessee. And at one point, he was a guy that I thought maybe could be on the outs just considering Tennessee's slow-going offense. But Ryan Tannehill has made that change. But let's go ahead and preview these wild card matchups before we get out of here. Jarrell and the AFC number one seed Ravens, number two seed Chiefs, NFC number one 49ers, number two seed the Green Bay Packers. So the first matchup coming up on Saturday, number five seed Bills taking on the number four seed Houston Texans. This is 4.35 p.m. Eastern time kickoff on ESPN and ABC. So this is going to be a really fun matchup. These two teams are pretty well 
evenly stacked, I would say. And so when looking at these two teams, Jarrell, I've seen Houston squander opportunities in the playoffs time and time again. And I do think that's going to be the same story again. I think the Bills are going to go into Houston and come away with the win because of their defense, how dominant they've come this year. That front seven is loaded. Ed Oliver, you're looking at Jordan Phillips and what they've been able to do on the outside with Trent Murphy and Jerry Hughes, Tredavious White, who will be matched up with DeAndre Hopkins. And I like their physicality on offense, their run game with Devin Singletary controlling the pace. And I like for them to get out of there with a 23-20 win over the Houston Texans. I'm a big believer in these Buffalo Bills, and I think they get the job done, Jarrell. What do you think? I would. I'm going to go with the Buffalo Bills as well, uh, Isaac, just because of the defense has been able to travel on the road we've seen them go into to to dallas and knock those guys off we've seen Let's them not travel. remember that game but all right man <laughs> but we but we've seen them we've seen them on the road in primetime games having opportunities to go up against premier offensive linemen we know that the, the houston Texans went out this offseason and tried to improve their offensive line for moments like this but as of lately we've seen that deshaun watson's been on the run a lot um the, the return of J.J. Watt, I, necessarily, I don't necessarily know how that's going to play out as far as the Houston Texans are concerned. But I know that they're, I know that they're secondary uh, when it comes to in scramble-like situations. This breeds uh, a, lot of, um, a lot of problems for me because Josh Allen is a, a down-the-field th- down type of thrower on the run. He has opportunities to be successful when the ball is in his hands and when he's making moves on the run. And so I think that they're going to have opportunities, man, to really push the ball down the field uh, with John Brown and, and, um, and the rest of this, and the rest of this offense, it's just going to be, can this defense make enough plays against Deshaun Watson in order for them to uh, have that two touchdown lead. And so I'm going to go with the Buffalo Bills on the road. I think that they have Frank Gore for moments like this. I think they've saved him for moments like this to be able to push through and have that solid running game in the uh, in the playoffs. And so I'm looking for the Buffalo Bills to keep it rocking and rolling, man. We're both riding with Bills Mafia. Let's go to the next AFC wildcard matchup. It is the nightcap on Saturday, number six Titans at number three Patriots. Mike Vrabel goes to go face his former head coach, Bill Belichick. Again, let's remember last year, the Titans absolutely throttled the Patriots in Tennessee last year. So, you know, maybe a little bit of revenge here from Belichick as they host them at Gillette Stadium. And it was a wild sequence of events, Drell. Everybody thought the Patriots were going to lock up that number two seed. But the Dolphins go and upset New England on Sunday, 27-24. So it knocks the Patriots down to the three seed. So now they're playing in wild card round for the first time in many years. Let's just put it to you that way. This is a really tough game for me to call because part of me wants to choose the Titans to upset New England. I just really haven't seen a whole lot from New England offensively that makes me believe that they can put up points against a very stingy Titans defensive unit. But at the same time, I have to give them a slight edge because they're going to be at home. And Bill Belichick factor, I think they are going to shut down Tennessee's passing game. Stephon Gilmore will be lined up across uh, uh, A.J. Brown. I think they're going to really shut down Tennessee's run game. They'll load the box 
And I think Tom Brady and that offense, they'll do just enough to squeak out a victory over the Tennessee Titans by a touchdown, 24-17. So give me the Patriots, but very, very close. I'm actually going to cut it a little bit closer than that, man. I think that the Patriots are going to have to win this game by a field goal. I When I look at this game on paper, when we look at the success that they had last year, I know that Bill Belichick is going to be playing that game through his mind over and over and over again. But that's last year. That's last November. This is this year. This is not, you know, the same the same team as that they had before. Like the Patriots have improved extreme, extremely on defense. But when it comes to the Tennessee Titans and what they continue to do, they're willing to run the ball with Derrick Henry 30, 35 times a game. And at the end of the day, when you're willing to do those things, anything can happen for you late in the game. And so my heart um, wants to go with Tennessee in an upset uh, by a touchdown, but my head is going to take the New England Patriots, but on a field goal uh, when in New England having uh, pay, uh, not paid men, but having Tom Brady have the ball late in his hands and uh, coming up with a fina- uh, fina- um, phenomenal series of plays in order for them to be successful. Uh, I think um, Edelman's going to have to come into play. He's going to have to be a guy that gives them a lot of success. Sony Michelle's going to have to catch the ball out of the backfield and um, continue to get a lot of yards after catch. And we're going to have to see if Muhammad Sanu, man, finally come into play, man. I, I think, you know, it, I mean, they, they traded for this guy. Um, we know that he has big play potential, uh, but he's going to have to he's going to have to come out and showcase what he can do. And so he's going to have to get that ankle together and he's going to have to go out there and play, man, because this is a time where big time talent has to shine. And so I'm going to go with New England by a field goal, 27 to 24 um, in, New, in, in Foxborough. It's definitely going to be a fun one to watch. Looking forward to that game. Now let's go to the Sunday slate of games. NFC number six Vikings at number three Saints. This is another revenge game for the Saints. As we remember that Minnesota Miracles, Stephon Diggs taking it to the house, Case Keenum. So now the Saints get to face the Vikings this time on their home turf. Give me the Saints in this one, 27-21. I just like what Drew Brees and this Saints offense has been able to accomplish. They rolled the Panthers in Week 17. They kept the foot on the gas. Alvin Kamara is finally healthy. We're seeing what that has done to this Saints offense. And defensively, they got hit with the injury bug big time, losing Marcus Davenport, Sheldon Rankins again. But Dennis Allen, the job he has done for this Saints defensive unit has gone unnoticed. I mean, a lot of people do not see the type of job he's done schematically. Now they have Janoris Jenkins, who they claimed off waivers, so another corner to bolster that secondary. And how about Cam Jordan? That guy actually deserves some credit and some contention for defensive player of the year and what he's been able to do on that defensive line. I think in the end, Jarrell, your boy Kirk Cousins, he really hasn't been able to thrive in big-time games. I think Minnesota will look to ride Dalvin Cook as they have for much of the season. But when the rubber meets the road, I like the Saints' chances to come through and get the victory in front of their ruckus home crowd with another big-time outing from Michael Thomas. 27-21, give me the Saints. Man, every time I look at this matchup, I continue to get more and more intrigued because I know – the Vikings got over on them. Uh, the the 
in the NFC Championship game. The Saints had an opportunity to respond last year. They did by winning 30 to 20. But this, I think, at the end of the day, you know, uh, Dalvin, Dalvin Cook, um, you know, his his health has been kind of been shaky for me. Uh, but Kirk Cousins, man, I want to have faith in my guy. I want to I want to have faith in the big plays that they that they're able to um, that they're able to bring to the table. Stephon Diggs. I want to have faith in in the guys that they're that they uh, that they are putting on the field because I think that this Minnesota team and this defense is itching for a big win against a signature quarterback against a signature offense like the New Orleans Saints and like I said before man I know that the Saints are riding on the high of Drew Brees and, and this might be his final year and you know they're trying to do everything they can and surround him with the pieces uh, in order for him to ride out on the on the right moment but. You know, I, I, I'm gonna. My heart's gonna go with uh, my mind. My mind's gonna go with the New Orleans Saints at home playoff game. Taysom Hill. I think he's gonna have a phenomenal game, and I think he's gonna do something. Do something wild, man, in order to to get this game um, on the right track because he's always the guy, the Swiss Army knife for the for New Orleans Saints that continues to make big plays. And so I'm gonna go with the New Orleans Saints at home. I, I'm taking them by a touchdown, uh, 31 to 24. And uh, hopefully those guys may be right. The final matchup of Wild Card Weekend comes on Sunday afternoon, 4.40 p.m. Eastern Time, NBC. Number five seed Seahawks taking on the number four seed Philadelphia Eagles. Now, a lot of people just want to write off the Eagles and say, well, they look at all the injuries. But I really do think this Philadelphia team is going to come to battle as they have the last month of the season. They have their backs up against the wall, and it's going to help big time, Jarrell, that they're going to be at the link in front of their home fans. Let's not forget that the Seahawks are also dealing with a bevy of injuries. We know that they lost Carson. They lost ProSize, so that's why they went out to sign Beast Mode and brought him back with Robert Turbin. Now they are going to get Quandre Diggs back, which is a big part of that secondary. And as for the Eagles, Jarrell, they took another hit losing Brandon Brooks, their all-pro right guard for the season with a shoulder injury. Zach Ertz, his status is uncertain. Miles Sanders, he's dealing with an ankle sprain. So the injuries just continue to pile up for Philadelphia. And I do think this game will be tight. I'm not going to say Seattle's going to steamroll Philadelphia by any means, but I like Russell Wilson to go in and get the job done with his arm, Philly's secondary has been suspect. Their best chance will be to, to stuff the run with that D-line led by Fletcher Cox and get after Russell Wilson in the pocket. I just don't see it happening. Give me the Seahawks to win it 30-24 to in a tightly contested matchup that should go down to the final minutes of the fourth quarter. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna agree with you, Isaac, but I'm only gonna agree with you on the on the notion that there's gonna be an ex- extraordinary game. And the only reason why I say that is just because of Doug Peterson and what he continues to bring to the table with the cards that he's dealt and the confidence that Carson Wentz has been displaying over the last few weeks, man. They had to win four games to get into the playoffs, man, and they had the opportunity to do that. They went in and beat the, the teams that they had to win in order to get in. And like I said before, man, when it comes to this Philadelphia team and, and, the, and the people that they have on their roster, they still have the core pieces in place to be successful. They have the quarterback. They still have the defensive line that's in place. They have the linebackers in order to compete. But I think for me, at the end of the day, you know, signing Beast Mode gives this team a lot of confidence, and they're going to try to run the ball effectively this week. But when you look at 
But when you look at the loss of Michael Kendricks in the in the interior for the Seattle Seahawks, and then you go back and look at what the 49ers were able to do last week as far as the rushing attack, that actually has to breed some type of confidence for the Philadelphia Eagles moving forward with Miles Sanders. And I think that they're going to try to test that. You're going to see some tight, two tight end sets, even though they don't have a lot of tight ends to spare. You're going to see a lot of two tight end sets, a lot of inside zone to set up for the play action pass for Carson Wentz. And so I think that Doug Peterson is going to take a shot at being physical up front, even with the loss of Ron Brooks. And I just think that the, the Philadelphia Eagles are going to have a chance to win this game at home in front of their own fans. And I'm going to take Philadelphia in the upset. Uh, I'm going to take them in the upset coming down to the wire, 34 to 33 at home. It's going to be electric out there in Century League, and I'm excited to see. Yeah, and the Seahawks defense has been suspect as well. So their secondary has had issues. Of course, Quandre Diggs would help if he can return from that high ankle sprain. But I'm just going to be real with you, Jarrell. I hope you're absolutely wrong. I hope I'm right. Let's go, Hawks. Let's get the job done. Let's <laughs> beat mean, them Russell Eagles. The Let's yeah. beat them Eagles on Sunday. <laughs> I'm going we with the Seahawks because I want to see the Eagles lose, man. But yeah. you know what, Jarrell? I will say this. It is going to be a freaking war between these two teams. I can't wait to watch it. It's playoff football. It's time to see which team shows up on the biggest stage, man. All these wildcard matchups, Jarrell, they're going to be some intriguing watches. I'm going to get my popcorn ready to watch some awesome football this weekend. It's going to be spectacular um, just because Russell Wilson and obviously his dynamics of which he brings to the table. But then you have the defensive line in Philadelphia that I've always continued to to talk about and I always continue to brag about when their back's against the wall, guys like Brandon Graham, Fletcher Cox, Barrett, those guys, Tim, uh, Timmy Jernigan, they seem to find a way to put it together, man, in order for this team to be successful. Um, Philadelphia has been a little shaky on the secondary uh, with Ro, uh, with Darby and those guys back there. Hopefully he has opportunity to come um, to play a good game since having his ACL surgery. I know that's a lot of confidence booster. It's been a, a crazy year for him. Well, Darby's but actually on IR. He's on IR now. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, at the end of the day, well, let me take that back, man. I think uh, this secondary has been hurt and they, and, and, you know, they have to find ways to continue to make plays. And, and so this defensive line is going to be the, the key for them. Um, the success that they have up front is going to be the key for them defensively and they're going to have to they're going to have to find a way to move forward man because Russell Wilson's going to make plays with his feet but if he can collapse the pocket and continue to be in his face then you'll have an opportunity to make some plays man and it only takes it only takes one or two plays on the defense to turn the game around and so uh, that defensive line is going to be hungry they've seen the type of success that San Francisco had last week in their pass rush games and they're going to try to mimic the same things. Uh, Russell Wilson didn't have a lot of space that he had in the previous game when he went out to San Fran and lit it up. But they, they're going to have to try to mimic the same thing up front, man. And I look for Philadelphia's defensive line to play a major role in this game. And so that's why I have an opportunity. That's why I'm going to take Philly and Doug Peterson um, coming down the stretch in, the, in a nail-biter at home just because of the simple fact this team continues to battle and fight. And uh, with everything against them, they're, they're, they continue to make noise. Well, time will tell. Both those teams met earlier this season in Philadelphia. Seahawks took that game. But that'll do it for today's episode. I appreciate all of y'all who are tuning in and have 
given some time here on New Year's Eve or whether it's New Year's Day, whenever you're tuning in at a wild card round, we appreciate you all. Jarrell, I hope you have a happy New Year's with your family. Continued prayers for what's up ahead for you and your future in the NFL. Looking forward to a brand new year with a lot of exciting things up ahead. Man, thank you so much, Isaac. Happy New Year. Um, everything is is uh, turning itself around, man. I'm going to have an opportunity to be running my own sports academy as well as uh, having an opportunity to be streaming my own show. And I'm going to I'm gonna be announcing those things uh, in the upcoming year. And so I'm excited to be doing all of those things. And God continues to keep blessing myself and our family. But we're, we're definitely itching for that niche to get back to make some big plays on Sundays. And so... We're going to continue to keep working, and we and we appreciate you always having given us the opportunity to to talk football and um, just to share our passions about football. And so, happy New Year to everybody! Happy New Year to all the fans! And uh, let's uh, let's make 2020 a great one, man. Yes, sir. Well said. Until next week, take care. God bless, and yes, happy New Year. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Coriant.com. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.